I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources with Boyd Matheson. Well, as we predicted, Congress kicked the can down the road with a continuing resolution that landed right, as predicted, on December the 16th. So, that means Congress is working away, preparing an omnibus spending package for the upcoming year. We'll see if they can turn that around. There could be a a large issue in the package uh, that has continually driven a lot of what happens in these kinds of bills and all of the fiscal irresponsibility that goes with it. That's the earmark spending. Uh, So we want to dig into earmarks just a little bit, where they are, what's happening, what comes next. And we're really pleased to be joined today by Romina Bacha, the Director of Budget and Entitlement Policy at the Cato Institute. She specializes in federal spending, budget process, and more. Those are all the important things. And he's actually based right here in Salt Lake City. Uh, Romina, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me on. (laughs) This is one of our favorite subjects here on Inside Sources, uh, looking at this process uh, the budget, the spending, uh, what are we likely to see as uh, we march our way towards uh, December the 16th? Yeah, it's going to be an interesting uh, period because um, there's certainly some interest, especially among Republicans, depending on the outcome of the election, to hold off on a massive omnibus spending package that would combine all 12 spending bills from defense to health and human services in one package, which is what we saw last March. They'd like to hold off on this, I can imagine, until January when the new Congress will take effect, which will strengthen their hand should they take the House and or the Senate in this upcoming election. Um, absent uh, ch- those changes in, in politics, um, you know, we'll, uh, we'll run up against the deadline. And then the question will be, will lawmakers pass one of those massive packages? Will they potentially delay it closer to the Christmas holiday and just put in place one more continuing resolution for so-called good measure or really to increase the pressure on um, lawmakers from both sides of the aisle to come together for such a package, which inevitably will have uh, some stuff in it that people will appreciate and some stuff that people think should be in there. So um, it tends to get very heated, especially the days leading up to the spending package. What we do know, it will spend way too much because the federal government is still far extended into areas that should be priorities at the state and local level, perhaps, or shouldn't receive funding at all. And it just seems that when money originates in Washington, that it's uh, it's free. But we know now that uh, all this extra spending, the stimulus bills we saw, especially during the pandemic, helped to drive up inflation. And uh, and that's that's basically a tax on Americans pocketbooks and their savings down the line. It's a it's a hidden tax, but a tax nonetheless. So all this additional spending will not come for free. And one remaining debate is whether earmarks will be included again, like we saw last yes. March. Those are often used to uh, grease the skits to get this legislation over the finish line so lawmakers can come home to the district and say, look at the funding I secured, cut some ribbons and uh, engage in some photo shoots. <laughs> Uh, at the expense of taxpayers across yeah. the nation. 
Uh, you've you've described it uh, sadly and perfectly. Uh, I think you've uh, you've captured the essence of, of all of that in, in your piece uh, with Cato Institute. Uh, I, I loved how you actually went to the uh, GAO, the Government Accountability Office, and, and looking at what happened last round. Uh, you pointed out that there were over almost five thousand five thousand earmarks in those twenty five hundred plus pages of text. Um, that often drive a lot of this spending, uh, spending as you said, that uh, creates nice photo shoots for members of Congress, but uh, continues to add that hidden tax that tends to hurt the, the poor and the most vulnerable the most. That's right. I also took a look at Utah in this context. And of the $9 billion in earmarked spending that Congress um, passed last March, Utah got $26.6 million, which amounts to roughly 0.3%. So not very much. Um, what we saw in Utah in particular, House members engaged in the process and brought home some, some projects for their districts. Um, but uh, in the Senate, Senator Mike Lee and Senator Mitt Romney joined a host of other uh, primarily Republicans who refused to engage in this process because earmarks were actually bl- banned right. since 2011, and they were just brought back last year after a decade-long ban. And, uh, you know, I, I, I do appreciate lawmakers standing on principle, even when it means um, taking the short end of the stick in this case and not being able to secure some of that federal funding for their constituents. But there's something to be said, I think, for acting on principle and using this as an opportunity to point to the waste and the corruption and the graft that we've seen in the earmark process in the past. And while this, uh, this new earmark process has some new transparency measures, which I really appreciate that makes reporting on these issues a lot easier, it's still, I still don't think that lawmakers should engage in it. I think they should be more focused on fighting the bigger spending battles, reducing um, cost inflating spending, which continues to grow in large part on autopilot and also going through the budget line by line, which is what they're supposed to do, and finding those areas where they can cut, where they can reduce spending, and also taking a look at programs that haven't been authorized some of, which, some of them in over a decade that continue to receive funding with very little oversight from Congress. It's fiscally irresponsible and uh, at a time of high inflation and when the debt has reached $31 trillion, which is $93,000 for every American alive, for every individual in, in America alive. So your grandchild, that's a $93,000 price tag on, on that child as well. When we have such high debt levels and such high inflation, it's uh, it's just reckless to continue on the spending spree. So, yeah, don't waste your time chasing down small earmarks, but instead uh, work to forge a compromise with lawmakers across the aisle to address our real spending problem. Yeah. I, um, that would be governing rather than, you know, engaging in petty lobbying. <laughs> yeah, and that's the big difference between uh, governing and lobbying and, and lobbying efforts. Uh, you noted in your piece uh, the late Senator Tom Coburn uh, from Oklahoma. He was uh, there when I was a chief of staff, and uh, he, uh, you, you quoted him as saying, I've, I've witnessed earmarking up close and know it is inherently corrupt. Earmarks were abused as a form of currency to buy and sell votes of politicians and to reward political supporters. Uh, and I, I think as you very aptly described it, 
this is why we continue to spend more than we're bringing in. This is why we have $31 trillion in debt. Uh, and now with interest rates rising, uh, the interest payment on that debt is uh, is going to become as large as the uh, the amount we spend on either Medicare or defense or a, a host of other things. Uh, as, as you look at it, Romina, what's the what's the path? Uh, what's the path forward to getting this kind of fiscal mm-hmm. look in a, in a little different light? Yeah, I really think that it's important to get away from these petty issues like earmarks, which just are a waste of time for lawmakers and their staff, and instead look at the bigger picture. And that's what the budget process is supposed to be for. Lawmakers just keep skirting it and ignoring it. But we do have a process to review the entirety of the federal budget, which starts with the budget resolution in the spring, and then the spending bills are supposed to be based on that. As we know, this, prog- this process is falling apart, but these fiscal action deadlines, things like the end of the fiscal year, like we just saw, um, and then next year we'll have the debt limit. I think they do motivate members of Congress to come together because um, they're, when they're confronted with a worst case scenario, like if we don't raise the debt limit that could shake up bond markets, um, you find there's a greater likelihood for compromise there's more of an urgency to get something done. And it also provides lawmakers with the political cover to make some of the tough decisions where they would reduce spending or reduce subsidies for certain federal government programs, yeah. including health care, which has helped to drive up the cost of health care, but also Social Security, which is quickly running out of funds that have been allocated to the trust fund and now spends uh, over a trillion dollars annually. So those are tough decisions. Those yeah. are obviously programs that constituents like, um, and those action-forcing deadlines like the debt limit are an opportunity to correct our fiscal course with that political cover in a bipartisan fashion. The question is, will our lawmakers be able to pull that together? Yeah. Uh, Romina Bacha, Director of Budget and Entitlement Policy at the Cato Institute. Great insight. Uh, important discussion. You need to go back and listen to the podcast. Uh, Romina gave us some great insight on the process, why it's broken, how we're going to fix it. Stay with us. That wraps up hour number one of Inside Sources here on KSL News Radio. After top of the hour news, we'll come back with hour number two. Much more to come. Stick around. We'll be right back. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent. It was senseless. And I will never understand it. I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson. And unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story, the struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.